0: We've heard today's scripture just read about the temptation of Jesus. He had just been to the River Jordan to be baptized by his cousin John and experienced the dove descending from the cloud and the voice of God telling him, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This might be a time when any reasonable human being would be overwhelmed and feel the need of some time for reflection. But what happens next is way beyond that simplistic notion. After claiming Jesus in a highly public way, God has a challenge for him. In line with Judaic history it described in Exodus and Deuteronomy, Jesus is still to be tested by God, by being tempted by the devil, by Satan or the adversary, or however you choose to define the powers of evil that we encounter in this world. This is another level of the story, causing to ask, why is there evil in the world? Why does an omnipotent god allow bad things to happen? And I'm going to leave that question with you. <laughs> the temptations try to seduce Jesus away from trusting in the divine in order to get some present relief first from hunger with the bread to uh, turning bread, the stones to bread using his powers in a cheap trick to prove that God will show up on command. This is the magical God who answers all our requests if we're good enough. And finally, in order to gain earthly power, fame and glory. Even though Jesus is in a dire situation, enduring 40 days of fasting, The answers Jesus gives to the adversary are actually theological quotes from Deuteronomy and the Ten Commandments, and they reinforce his absolute faith and trust in the overarching power of the divine. Similar confrontations between God and Satan, or faith and doubt, have been waged throughout the Old Testament with mixed results, but Jesus is unshakable. We learn that Satan departs from him and angels minister to him. The whole episode is quite surreal and has purpose way beyond a literal interpretation. Its effect on hearers when Matthew wrote it would have been to confirm beyond any doubt that Jesus was the historical Messiah so long predicted, and that he was capable of resisting and vanquishing the forces of Satan. If Jesus had ever chosen the easy way out in his life, we certainly would not be talking about him 2,000 years later. Between John's predictions and his own conviction, the ball was rolling. The voice from heaven sealed his fate. And I wondered, did he feel the presence of his Father who inspired and guided him? He frequently took time to commune directly, especially as things escalated towards the end of his life. We're thinking of the Garden of Gethsemane and especially from the cross. As soon as this experience ended, Jesus immediately began to gather disciples. He knew from the very beginning that he wouldn't be able to do it alone. The history of the times indicates that there were multiple revolutionary leaders and activists opposing the Roman oppression, in different ways, including armed insurrection. And a lot of Jesus' followers probably wanted him to take that route. The people Jesus approached were very likely well informed about him, and they joined him unquestioningly. They didn't just go to a rally or take off from work once or twice. They were all in, and they left their families and vacations to follow a new calling. What did they do right away? This is the crucial part of Jesus' ministry compared to other movements of the time. Right away, they tried to redress suffering. They went to the places where people were the most vulnerable. They brought them healing and hope and assured them that suffering under the weight of empire wasn't the way that God intended their lives to be. That if God cared, and this is one of my favorite quotes, If God cared for the lilies of the field and God's eye was on the sparrow, how could it possibly be okay that society dismissed as expendable a huge swath of God's creation? Clustered around him were all kinds of people brought together in community and relationship by the power of a simple message, love God and love your neighbor as yourself." I sometimes envision Jesus tearing around the country in a mood of great urgency, reminding everyone that the hierarchy, the oppressive empire, the commodification of human beings, and the systemic poverty and ill health, inequality and injustice were not acceptable. Unfortunately, not much has changed. (laughs) By now, I don't have, like I think it said in the hymn, um, there's an expectation of a once and returning messiah bringing the end times? History has proven itself depressingly or reassuringly cyclical. Every generation seems to be required to either fight for a just future, accept the incremental degradation of the status quo, or to close our eyes in apathy. I know that in this community, including online folk, have chosen to fight for the intrinsic value of every living thing. So, how do we carry this out across social, economic, racial and political barriers and stereotypes? What could it look like? My own experience with almost 30 years in one constantly evolving church convinces me that continuity and commitment matter. No room for complacency. I also marvel at how, over time, the rituals and dogma of established empired religion have metamorphosed into the revolutionary spiritual demand that if we actually are following the teaching of the historical Jesus, the rabbi from Nazareth, we must tackle the systemic inequalities of life on this earth and not wait for the hierarchy to fix itself. Listening to Inspiring Preaching... Transformative music and studying the Bible and the role of the church from this point of view has a powerful cumulative effect. As a result of continuity, I can also look around on any Sunday and recognize many of the people here. That is quite a family. As an immigrant and as an adoptive parent, chosen family matters to me. But let me explore this further. What do I know about all these people who I might hug and greet during the passing of the peace? Well, the deeper relationships come through participation. For me, that means the opportunity to get educated about political activism around specific issues, showing up and marching for what I believe in. It means Bible study between worships, having my ideas expanded by the insights of others. If I simply list some of my other activities, there is so much spiritual music. We have New Adventures group. We have uh, the retreats like yesterday, which was awesome. We have hablamos. Um, we're part of the LGBTQI activism, the Pride March for over 25 years, sitting together in the social hall, coming out for the street fair, and now becoming a deacon. So... <laughs> Those are some of the things, not everything. For you, it may be the blessing of experiencing worship celebrations. Any of my list, or maybe hiking in Beacon, volunteering on a mission to help out in Puerto Rico, going to pub theology, helping give out butterfly lunches, joining the parenting youth, young adult or queer black men's group, or the gospel choir, the writing group or the acting group, All these and many more are available, with more being added and actually also removed if they cease to function well, as our imaginations and needs dictate. I mean, it it evolves. That's the whole point. We are all welcome. And over time, I have seen transformations take place. Transformations in specific individuals, in fact, through belonging. The revelation of who emerges behind that familiar face when you enter closer communication is astounding. No, of course I'm not surprised, but I'm honored to see that multidimensional person. Over time, I take comfort in my chosen family. When issues arise, I know the ministers, staff and care team will be there for me in whatever way they can. So will my friends. I've been overwhelmed any number of times. Ministers have taught me through cancer surgeries, job losses, family dilemmas, doubts, and insecurities. Deep listening, visitation, and the power of prayer have healed my soul and brought me to an understanding of the workings of the Spirit that humbles and inspires me. And I really didn't know about that. We say we are welcoming and we value care, but this is a two-way street. In order to be a truly caring community, All of us are needed to notice when someone is hurting or has been absent, to write a note or give a hug. And this is important, to let the care team, the ministers, the staff and the deacons, know that you or someone you know needs care so we can respond and support. It makes us feel vulnerable when we need help. We may not want to bother anyone, and then we feel isolated and compound the problem, which simply doesn't help. But scripture tells us in our relationship with God, we are made powerful in our weakness. I think that means in this space of chosen family, there is something strong about saying, can I talk to you? Which really means, will you listen to me? Can you help me? which can lead to insights and shared solutions that in my experience seem to go far beyond the immediate difficulty. As new deacons, we've joined the collegiate church deacons to make a commitment on behalf of the whole congregation to listen to what is needed, and just as importantly, what is offered. We're all in this together. This can be the beloved community on earth as it is in heaven that Jesus set out to establish as soon as he began his ministry. If we all consider ourselves the hands and feet of the Spirit in our daily lives and try to understand, since God is still speaking, what it means to follow Jesus. It isn't always apparent, but this is a place to start. And Middle aspires to be that kind of place where we can all become the very best of ourselves, being supported both when we fall down and when we stand tall. May it be so.